Hello there, Jeremy Howard again to talk to you about the book of Genesis. In the Come Follow Me curriculum, you will be looking at Genesis chapters 12 to 17 sometime in the near future if you haven't already yet, and uh, I'm excited to talk about that for just a bit with you. Thanks for thanks for joining me. I, In preparation for this, I listened to a couple of popular YouTube channels that also track the Come Follow Me curriculum from an LDS perspective. Both of those channels talked about how this section of Scripture is critical for the Latter-day Saint worldview. However, there are some major issues with the things that they taught, and I want to address some of those here. And uh, I think the best way for us to understand where we're missing each other, as at least for you to understand where I'm coming from, if you are a Latter-day Saint with a Latter-day Saint background, the, the biggest thing would be to look for God in these texts and not look at Abraham. One thing that I've noticed with these other teachers, these LDS teachers, is that there's so much of a focus on Abraham and what Abraham's doing that we're actually kind of missing the amazing work of God in the world because we're focused on tracking Abraham and having Abraham kind of set a pattern for what we should be like. And that that's not what the Bible's presenting to us. Instead, the Bible's telling us what God is doing in Abraham and through Abraham's family in the world. But enough of that. Let's let's just get started and uh and hopefully you'll see what I mean as we go along. So I want to start with Genesis chapter 11 at the end of Genesis 11 where it says if you are watching along with me right up here in the top left Terah lived 70 years and became the father of Abram. There's our guy, Abram, and Nahor and Haran. So Abram shows up at the end of Genesis 11, and we see down in verse 29 that Abram took for his wife Sarai. Now, of course, their names are going to later change to Abraham and Sarah, so I'm probably just going to refer to them as Abraham and Sarah and assume we're all on the same page. But you see verse 30 of Genesis 11 which is uh, one of the last verses of the chapter. It has 32 verses. Genesis 11.30 says that Sarah was barren. It makes a point to say, (laughs) Scripture makes a point to say, Sarah was barren. She had no children. And that is going to play a a big part uh, in the story here of what God is doing through Abraham. But this is about all that we know. What you see on your screen right now, that's all that we know about Abraham going into chapter 12. Not a lot. Pretty amazing. But uh, here, here we go. So we get into chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12, and let's look at the first three verses. Genesis 12, 1. Now the Lord God said to Abraham, or Abram, rather, <laughs> Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. And make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all of the families of the earth will be blessed. So here we are getting the initial concepts of this covenant that God is making with Abraham. And this is a covenant. So I I think we're all on the same page there. This is a covenant. But to understand 
what God is doing, we have to recognize that there are different types of covenants that exist. There's not just the type of covenant that says, hey, you do this and I'll do that, and as long as we both hold up our, our end of the deal, then this thing will go through. That's called a conditional covenant. And that's how most covenants work, right? Is two people agree to terms and they have to hold up their ends of the deal. And that will result in a positive outcome for both parties. Well, what we're seeing so far in Genesis 12 is that uh, God is saying, this is what's going to happen. Notice, I'll go back here. Notice there is no if. There is no if. So God's not saying, Abraham, if you do this, then I will do this. He, God just says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. This is just how it is. There is no if whatsoever. And we start to see some of the aspects of this unconditional covenant that God is making with Abraham. He is saying unconditionally that he is going to give him a land. He's going to show him a land, and it's going to be his land. Uh, Now, this gets more explicit as it goes on, but this is the beginnings of that. There's a land that God's leading him to. So that's first aspect. Secondly, he's going to make him a great nation. There are going to be people who come from Abraham. Again, there's going to be more detail uh, for that later, but we're getting the beginnings of that. There, there's going to be a nation out of Abraham. He's going to make Abraham, you, a great nation, meaning his posterity, those to follow. And then, I will bless you, God says. So we have land, we have seed, and we have blessing. Seed meaning children and children's children and so on. And then this blessing aspect, and I will bless you. You shall be a blessing. And he will bless those who blesses him and curse those who curses him. Again, take, take a good long look at it. There is no if anywhere on there. If you do this, then this will happen. It's just, this is what's going on. That's pretty fascinating. Okay, well, let's jump to chapter 15. Genesis 15, we'll start at verse 1. Again, in the life of Abraham, God speaks. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram, not Abraham, Abram. Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram responds and says, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. So from Abram's perspective, he's saying, you said you're going to make me a great nation and I'm childless. What's going on? Verse three, Abram said, since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. I don't have a physical descendant to be my heir. That's Abram's issue. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man, Eliezer, he will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. Here we get the explicit promise that God is going to give Abram physical descendants. Verse 5, it says, God took Abram outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Then he, Abram, believed in the Lord, 
and he, the Lord, reckoned it to him as righteousness. Here we have in verse 5 the only if that shows up. <laughs> Look at the stars. If you, can, if you can count them, check them out. That's how many your kids are going to be. So again, there is no, hey, Abram, you do this, and then you'll get kids. It's, I'm going to give you descendants, and there are going to be as many physical descendants from you on this earth as there are stars in the heavens. Because he was going to have children, and those children are going to have lots of children, and those children are going to have lots of children, and on and on and on it goes. Lots and lots of Israelites have existed, and it all started with Abraham, with Abram. Well, uh, God here is taking him, taking him outside and making an explicit promise based on what he could see, saying that this is, um, this is what's going to happen in your life. In verse 6, Abram responds by believing. It says, then he believed in the Lord, which is an amazing statement. Uh, Abram responded to God and God's promise with faith in that promise. He trusted in that promise. And it says, God, in response, reckoned it to him or accounted or credited back to Abram righteousness. Abram believed, and in response to Abram believing, God gave him righteousness, it says. Now, this is fascinating. And this has a lot of bearing on New Testament theology. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, you can see, or on Facebook, you can see this column here of verses from the book of Romans. And there are two passages in Romans and, and one from Galatians I want to look at. Paul is talking about in the book of Romans, chapter 4, the importance of being justified by faith alone and not by works, meaning we are declared innocent and righteous before God on the basis of faith not by anything that we do as upholding a deal in a covenant. Okay, that's, that's important. The unconditional covenant to Abram is now going to be used as an illustration for the way that we are accepted before God. Romans 4.1, it says, What shall we say? What then shall we say? That Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, has found. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about but not before God. For what does the scripture say? It quotes Abraham, Genesis 15, 6 here. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. If he earned any kind of exaltation with God by upholding his end of the deal in a covenant, he's got something to brag about. Now, you might respond and say, well, no, he doesn't. But, but yes, he does, because he would have done something physically to uphold his end of the deal. That's Paul's whole argument here. But Paul says that's not how he was justified. He was justified by faith because he believed God, he trusted in God, and therefore God credited, counted righteousness to his account. Abraham received the very righteousness of God, because what other righteousness does God give, right? He only gives his righteousness, perfect righteousness, whole, total, absolute righteousness. Through Abraham's faith in the promise of God, 
we see that he had a righteous standing before God. That's amazing. But that's not the only place where this comes up in the New Testament. That's not even the only place in Romans 4 where this comes up. If you look at Romans 4.19, talking about Abraham still, Paul says, Without becoming weak in the faith, or in faith, he contemplated his own body. Abraham thinking about his own body because he was old. Paul says he was as good as dead. He was about 100 years old. And he was considering the deadness of Sarah's womb, how she was barren. Remember how that was specifically noted in chapter 11? Sarah was barren. Yet with respect, this is verse 20, yet with respect to the promise of God, Abraham did not waver in unbelief, but he grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Quotes Genesis 15, 6 again. So he's using the same illustration again in the same chapter to say that we are justified before God, we are declared righteous before God by faith alone. Just all the same way, all the way back in Genesis 15, in the same way that Abraham was declared righteous by faith alone, so it is today. This whole idea of we must enter into a covenant with God that is conditional upon our working with him, cooperating with him to achieve some sort of righteous exaltation, that notion is false. It's false. When we trust in Christ alone, Paul here is saying, we have the very righteousness of God. And let me ask you, what needs to be added to the righteousness of God? In Abram's life, in Genesis 15, 6, what needed to be added to the righteousness of God so that he could arrive at some sort of exalted state? Well, nothing. If he had on his account the righteousness of God in that moment, he had everything he would ever need spiritually. There was nothing else to be added that he needed to be considered perfect before God or better before God. There was nothing for him to perform. God had given it all to him through faith alone. One more place in Galatians, Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse 5. Paul says, So then does he, God, who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, does he do it by works of the law or by hearing with faith? That's an interesting verse. He's, he's pitting these two ideas against each other, works and faith. Does God, who works miracles among you, does he do it by you upholding your deal in the law? Or does he do it by faith, by your hearing of faith and, and believing and trusting? Well, the obvious answer is by faith alone. Paul doesn't even provide the answer. It's a rhetorical question. He knows that his audience knows that the answer is it's by faith. God works among us through faith. And so he goes on to say, even so Abraham, here it is, believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, quoting Genesis 15, 6. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. Okay, now this is amazing. Back in Genesis 15, 
Abraham was promised all these physical descendants that would become a nation that would be as numerous as the stars of the heavens. And now we're discovering that in some spiritual way, those who believe, imitating Abraham, those who trust in God and get the righteousness of God, just as Abraham did, they are the ones who are the true sons of Abraham, or the true circumcision, Paul says elsewhere. Those who are truly of God's family. Because the blessing that God promised to bless the whole world through him, that blessing is realized when people believe in God, and not just a general belief in some higher power. But now, on this side of the cross, we recognize that it's belief in God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. The one who came and lived the life that we couldn't live, a perfectly righteous life, and died the death that we deserved in our place for our sins. That when we trust in him and his finished work alone, his death, well, his life, his perfect life, his death, his resurrection, that all of his righteousness gets credited to our account and all of our sin gets canceled. And we now have begun to enjoy this blessing. We've begun to enjoy this, this promise that, that God has issued through Abraham. It has begun with us. And there's still more that God's going to do. In fact, let's go back to Genesis 15, and we'll drop down to verse uh, 12 here. Genesis 15, 12. It says, Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. So he was asleep, and he was in great terror <laughs> and in great darkness. God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. Verse 15, But as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. Verse 17, It came about when the sun had set that it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between the pieces. And on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river Egypt as far as the great river Euphrates. And it goes on to describe more specifically that land. Well, again, notice that there's no if here. God doesn't say, okay, if you do this, then you'll get this land. If you do this, I will uphold uh, my end of the deal. That doesn't exist. In fact, there were animals that were split into that were separated as a part of making this covenant. Um, it was a, a custom in that day to do such a thing. And usually, both parties would walk through the covenant. That's how it always worked. Both parties, because it's usually a conditional covenant, both parties walk through saying, okay, I'll keep my end of the deal, you keep your end of the deal. Or, curse be upon my head, and may I die. So they walk through those pieces. Well, here, Abraham, he was caused to fall into a deep sleep. So God made sure there was nothing that he was going to do here to signify that he was 
upholding any sort of his end of the deal or anything like that. And God alone, this flaming torch, goes through the pieces, and God says that this is what's going to happen. This land belongs to you and your nation. Unconditional, totally unconditional. This wasn't Abraham entering into a covenant with God where he had to do something to keep up his end of the deal. This was God alone saying, this is what is going to happen. And this will be literally fulfilled. This idea of uh, the land being uh, given to Abraham's uh, nation. If we go to, just real quick, just so you see this, Romans 11, it says that there is a a fullness of Gentiles who are coming into God's family right now and enjoying God's blessings. And that Israel is partially hardened by God. But that a time is coming when all Israel will be saved. All Israel will be saved. It says in verse 28, from the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. You believing Gentiles, you Gentiles who have believed in Jesus Christ, Israel right now is is your enemy. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. So this piece of land here and the promise that uh, there would be a blessing among the Israelites, that awaits a future fulfillment. That hasn't happened where Israel has dwelt in safety in their land while they're surrounded by other nations and where the whole nation has embraced the seed who has come from Abram, their Messiah, Jesus Christ. That has not yet happened, but it will happen in the future. And until that time, you have uh, a foreshadowing happening among those who believe, whether Jew or Gentile, right now, those who believe in Jesus Christ and his finished work alone, they are the ones who are the true children of Abraham, enjoying the blessings of God that are unconditional, that come to us because we are righteous on the basis of faith alone, no works whatsoever. Because if this was about works, if this was about upholding our end of the deal, if this was about joining God on a journey, and then at the end of that journey, getting some sort of exaltation or getting some sort of righteousness, then this, none of this would make sense. The Bible storyline from Genesis 12, 15, and chapter 17, which we won't be able to get to today, all the way into the New Testament, the storyline is this. God saves on the basis of faith alone, not on the basis of your works of the covenant, of your performing ordinances. None of that. Now, are those things important? Works, ordinances, living for God, all those things? Yes. And all of that uh, is talked about in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. But for our sakes, as we think about the gospel and life in reflection of the gospel— yeah, the New Testament talks about, about all those things, and, and we should have those conversations. But what is primary here, what comes before all of that, is our understanding of how we are made right with God. We are made right with God today the same way Abram was, on the basis of faith alone. If you come to God thinking that there's anything for you to do, any type of work, any type of covenant keeping, any type of holding up your end of the deal, any type of following these certain steps to get exalted, 
then you're missing the point. Because the point is that you can be made right with God totally, completely, utterly, absolutely in an instant when you believe in the finished work of this great seed of Abram, Jesus Christ, what he has done on your behalf, in your place. All of that can be yours if you trust in him alone, not bringing any of your own effort at all, but bowing before him and saying, I have nothing to bring. I am empty-handed. Please give me your righteousness. He will give it to you on the basis of faith alone, just as God gave righteousness to Abram. All right, I hope that's helpful. Please let me know what you think. Comment, reach out, message. would love to talk to you more about it. God bless.